Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Eyes on Isles pre-episode edition. Uh, I am your host, James Nichols, and joining me today for the first time and for the foreseeable future as our co-host is our co-site expert, Joseph Bono. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for being my new site co-expert. It's been a great ride so far. We're a month in. Um, how are you? I'm doing well, and you look well-rusted. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on the birth of your daughter. So you've gained, uh, I guess, a site co-expert and a, uh, <laughs> and a, and a kid uh, yeah. this month. So uh, <laughs> excellent. Congratulations. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. A lot of exciting things moving forward. Lots of reasons to be happy. Lots of reasons to smile. Um, unless you're an Islander fan, seemingly, uh, just because of the the lack of news and, and the lack of transaction that have gone down this summer, uh, which we will get into. There's a bunch of unknown um, as far as what is going to happen in the future. We got a few, uh, I guess, droplets of ideas this morning of what might happen. But what I do want to start with is something that we know will happen. And this past season for Islanders prospect William DeFore has been historic, if you will. Um, and he just pads that historic season once more by getting named to Team Canada um, for the IIHF World Championships happening in August. Um, again, just another thing, another feather in his cap um, as one of the Islanders' top prospects now. Um, what, what were your initial thoughts on when he just got named to yet another milestone where you said to yourself, picked in the fifth round, but man, this guy's making noise. I think you're just excited to see him against another level of competition. You heard so much about, oh, it's his age. He's old playing against these uh, junior kids. And, you know, he'll, he'll be an opportunity to play against uh, some of the best talent in his age group in the world playing for Team Canada. And if you think about it, both he and Atu Ratu both benefited from this tournament being delayed. Uh, yeah. Ratu was on Team Finland, but got COVID. Uh, he never traveled with the team. The tournament started, played four days worth of games, and then canceled the whole thing. Uh, so now he gets an opportunity to play. And Dufour, who did not make the team uh, for the event last year, um, gets to play here this summer. Yeah, it's just only good things right now. And it, make, it makes me think, you know, they just drafted the kid, Kale Odelius, who didn't make Finland for for um, their their World Juniors team, um, but uh, largely thought of as a first-round talent. Uh, I know our good friend, Mitch Anderson, who um, had an interview with him, he even said to Mitch, I was 
you know, told consistently first round, late first round. So, you know, he's a first round talent who you could say slipped to the Islanders. Aturatu at this point, a lot of people are saying that he probably should have went in the first round, maybe even like top 10 at this point. And now William DeFore has just planted himself at the top of the Islanders prospect pool. Suddenly their prospect pool, although they're like ranked 31st by like Scott Wheeler of the Athletic and whoever, you know, you, you follow for your prospects. Suddenly they have some names who you are excited about that maybe their pipeline isn't as bad as you think. Yeah, at least there's two guys, uh, both forwards, which is what they're going to need young, you know, because the defense core, like we've talked about, um, at least you and I have talked about it, not here on the podcast, but we've talked about it in terms of the age of the defense. And overall, yeah. the Islanders are still one of the older teams in the league, but the defense core is relatively young. You know, yeah. Scott Mayfield at 29 is going to be the oldest member yeah. of the defense. So they need some youth infusion and some goal scoring and creativity in the forward group. And uh, granted, neither one of these guys were were picked high second round and fifth round, but they're coming on quick. And uh, it's going to be a huge year of development in Bridgeport. And, you know, there's always going to be a lot of fans that are looking to Bridgeport to be excited. But some years you're looking a little bit closer than others. And this will be one of those years. Now, I don't know whether or not either one gets an opportunity this season. Obviously, Ratu would be further along, but you're going to probably need a, some injuries or some things you don't want to have happen during the year for him to get a look. Yeah, I think you're right with saying that. I, I wouldn't anticipate seeing him on the varsity squad this season unless, like you said, it's a it's an injury or something. But I mean, I bet there's going to be a lot of people ready to watch a bunch of Bridgeport games this year with, you know, Ratu, DeFore, um, Ruslan Ishkakov, who just signed a deal and is coming over to the, the, the this side of the pond in North America. Um, I, I was reading something the other day on, on I think it was Kevin Kurz who wrote it. Uh, there's anticipation Samuel Bolduck will bounce back after some injury and, and some uh, uh, COVID absences and such. So there's a lot of buzz around the Bridgeport Islanders, which is interesting to see. Um, whereas the New York Islanders, we're all kind of just waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. We just want to know. Yeah, what but you know happened. what? I mean, you know, Christmas Day comes and then it's over. Then you got to wait a year for it again. <laughs> for Islander fans, it's just the end. What's the best part about the holiday season as a kid? It's the anticipation of the yeah. day coming. You go downstairs, you turn you turn your calendar down one day after the another. I know I'm going towards the ones that actually celebrate Christmas, but you know, <laughs> trying to you know count it down to December 25th. And uh, we counted down to uh, – July 13th. And, and now we're yeah. just waiting uh, for that, uh, for that gift to be underneath the tree. And um, I think all, I feel like at this point, the expectations are that something big is going to happen. Um, and it wasn't that way. Maybe two weeks ago, you kind of felt like, well, I'm just trying to put pieces together. I'm trying to connect dots that really aren't there. Cause I'm trying to make the best out of the situation. And of course, uh, Lou Lamarillo wouldn't let this season, this offseason go without making a big move, given what his comments were at the trade, day, trade deadline at the end of the year after he dismissed Barry Trotz. Um, but now this year, I think people are more confident than not. Right now, people are more confident than not that Nazim Kadri is going to be an honor. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. You know, you saw the report from, um, I, I think his name was Mark Seiditz or, or something similar. Don't Don't hold me to it. Uh, but he had reported and he said, I'm no insider, but I did receive a call from somebody who is in the know um, that for all intents and purposes, Kadri is signed to the Islanders. Um, well, this morning, my boss over at the fourth period, David Pagnota, doubled down on the sentiment and said, um, you know, I did see the reports out there and I, I you know, can say that I do think that they are valid. 
um, as well as some other uh, house cleaning or, or maintenance uh, that is also going underway behind the scenes as well. So I guess we'll start with the cadre potential news. Um, it's not, you know, a, a, anything official right now, but for all intents and purposes, Nazim Kadri is a New York Islander. What's your instant reaction to that kind of deal that could possibly be happening? Instant reaction would have been like, if this happened on July 13th would have been like, what are they doing? Uh, because given this fact of the fact that the team strength is a center, you would not have thought that they would need another center and someone cer certainly that's at 32 years old and is going to likely get at minimum five years, you would expect yeah. in this next contract. But the more it sits with it, the more you sit with it, and the more you realize that if the offseason ended and the Islanders were able to get a young defenseman like they did in Alexander Romanov and then also bring in the fifth or sixth top-rated free agent as part of this class, that's pretty good. And I know that there's a lot of questions that come along with Kadri signing because of his age, because of what it's going to mean for the cap, because of what, of, because of what it's going to mean in terms of who's going to have to leave to make room for him. Um, but there's a lot of intrigue there too. And the Islanders would certainly be better on paper next year. Um, and then I guess you worry down the road of what that contract is going to look like. There's, some recent history of, of players that have been very productive at 37, 38, 39 years old. And there's also been a lot of recent history of players that have not been. And the Islanders certainly roster construction wise are, are going to have players that are in around and over 30 years old on this team. Yeah. And, you know, maybe James that thinking to themselves that it's a go for it type of move. And the worst case scenario is that you blow it up if it doesn't work a year or two from here and you have some players that still have some marketability and have some trade value to kind of rebuild this thing in a hurry. Um, so I don't want to look too far down the road. You hope that it works out. Yeah. But um, I think now that I've s sat on it for, for a few days and I'm starting to visualize it happening, what's the alternative? Compared to the alternative, it's, it's, it's a move the Islanders need and have to make in order to uh, continue to compete in a very strong Metropolitan Division. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and upon, you know, hearing about this at first and um, even even the first inkling of this, I think when it was a couple of weeks ago, when on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, even Elliot Friedman said, you know, well, don't don't count out the New York teams for for possibly looking at Nazim Kadri as as a um, an acquisition this summer. My first instant reaction to that was, OK, 30 uh, or almost 30 goals, 85 points this season. That would have been the most on the Islanders this year. By a lot. By a lot. I mean, right? no one had 60 points. I think Brock no Nelson one, led with 59. Tied with Barzell for 59, exactly. So the thing is, a lot of people sit there and say, well, he got the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche boost, which, okay, maybe he did. But, you know, if I say look, that, sure. <laughs> I'm and, one and, of those people. Listen, it's a valid point, right? When you play with Kale McCarr, you play with Nathan McKinnon, you play with Miko Ranton and Gabe Landeskog, these things are going to happen. You're going to get. Uh, a plethora of points, you know, just by committee because, you know, you're playing on a, a power play unit that has. Yeah. A uh, rising tide raises all ships. And if you're yeah, on a, a team that's uh, your first, second, third and goals each year, uh, which he's been on both with Toronto and Colorado, you're definitely going to benefit. Your overall point total is going to be, that doesn't say everything about your intangibles, the type of player you are, yeah. the attributes that you bring to the game over someone else. But just in terms of point production, of course, that's going to mean something. Right. But zooming the lens out a little bit, he has multiple 30-goal seasons under his belt. So it's not like he's only done this when he was with Colorado. He did do it with the Maple Leafs 
when although they're a powerhouse right now, when he was with the Maple Leafs, they were still trying to get there. Marner was still a good player, but they were still on the uprise. Matthews was still young. John Tavares wasn't there. So there were there were there was optimism around Kadri's game. He was doing it in, in on a team that wasn't half as good as the Colorado Avalanche were last season. Um, and although he did have 85 points last season, there is still reason to believe that he can do that again with the Islanders. I'll say this. If he scores 30 goals with the Islanders, 60 points again, even that would be, you know, I think second on the team. Yeah, it would be second on the team in goals. It would be the most points on the team. And again, you know, the situation here is if they bring in Kadri, someone's got to, you know, move out. The odd man out here seems to be Josh Bailey because he's got the no trade protection um, and he's got two years left on his contract and the, the actual dollars he's owed is less than his cap hit. So he could potentially be on the move. Suddenly now you're removing Josh Bailey's 12 goals, inserting Kadri's 30. So that's about 18 more, not a math guy, but I figured that one out. And, uh, you know, he's going to have 60 points, which again, if it's only 60 points, that's still the most on the Islanders right now. Yeah, but a lot of secondary assists uh, you'll, you'll be missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then obviously the other part to this is that you bring in Kadri, and then obviously what's that do to the dynamic of, of Matt Barzell, Brock Nelson as your one right. and two centers? Uh, a lot of good insight from people recently about Brock Nelson. He's played on the wing. Earlier in his career, he obviously is a is a is a goal scorer now. Um, you wrote an article today on Eyes and Isles regarding um, the efficiency in his shot last year. He was the most efficient goal scorer. You have guys that scored 40, 50, 60 goals. Brock didn't get that. He might have gotten there if he didn't get hurt in that Toronto game earlier in the year. Yep. Uh, but maybe he's the person you would slide next to Kadri, or you throw out another option: is that if Brock Nelson's your best goal scorer and Matt Barzell is your most creative distributor and passer what if they the two of them would team up on the first line and then you're able to build a second line with Kadri if you have choices of Lee you have Palmieri you have Wallstrom there are options there uh, to make up the Islanders top six yeah absolutely so it I think the thing is with Kadri is you you bring in a guy like him and that automatically opens up a lot of options for you. Like you just said, you can put Nelson on the first line with Barzell. If it doesn't work out, slide him down with Kadri and you can, you know, maybe slide up Wallstrom or Paul Mary, you know, there's some history there, so maybe it'll work out. Um, but whatever the matter it happens is it's always good to be deep at the center position. And let's just say they roll with five centers with Nelson on the, you know, having Nelson on the wing, you still have five in the lineup. So, you know, for instance, Matthew Barzell wasn't necessarily the greatest in the faceoff dot last year. You could have Nelson, who was, he was, I think he was over 50% in the dot, take the faceoffs and then just assume the winger roll after the faceoff is done and have Barzell skate, you know, around uh, around the ice as a center like he does. Um, and then, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, there's an injury where you, you lose a center. You still have a solid core of, of you know, let's say Nelson goes down, Barzell, Kadri, uh, Pajot, and Sezikis. So, the center position is something that you know you is, I guess, more important than the winger position, despite the fact that we've been craving that winger for so long. But you need a, a solid center core, um, and the Islanders do have that. And there's nothing wrong with padding it if you can, you know, move Nelson to the wing uh, and solve that goal, goal scoring issue while keeping everything else intact. <laughs> 
yeah, it'll be ironic that, you know, for years we're searching for the winger for Matt Barzell and he was always on the team. If, if, right. if that were to come to fruition, um, or it could be Kadri and Nelson playing together on the second line. And, you know, Barzell's had different degrees of success on the top line with different people at, it just hasn't been able to be sustainable. You yep. know, really go back to his rookie year when he played with uh, Beauvillier and Jordan Everly. That was probably the most dynamic he was as a center and as good of a line that he played with. And for whatever reason, that line kind of fizzled out and really wasn't what they went with during the playoff runs. And obviously, uh, after Lee's injury, you had a scenario where Leo Komarov was playing um, on the top line a couple seasons ago. So uh, there's still, I think, a chance that even if you know a Nelson move with Barzell doesn't happen or a Kadri and Barzell combination with Barzell moving to wing, which is probably the most unlikely of the scenarios, I think there's still a combination that Lane Lambert could go to that can be consistent for the Islanders that it's as a, as a top line or yeah. really what would be a, a, a you know a one in one a type scenario, I think, um, for the top six. Yeah, absolutely. That That's definitely something I could see happening as well. Um, one other thing that I could see that is a possibility. I did write about this when the noise was a little louder before it calmed down again about Kadri was if the Islanders end up actually signing Kadri, does that mean that somebody shifts to the wing or does that mean somebody gets moved out? And you sit there and you say to yourself, well, if Kadri's a center and they have four, that means a center's got to go. Are they going to move Barzell? Unlikely. Are they going to move Nelson? He just scored 37 goals. Maybe the thought is he can, he's at his highest value. You can get a lot in return, but I don't see that for a team that's trying to compete in the playoffs and probably get back to Stanley Cup contention. That leaves J.G. Pajot and Casey Zizekas. Is anybody going to want Zizekas on his five years remaining at $2.5 million? It works for the Islanders. I don't know if it works for anybody else. So the outlier is J.G. Pajot. Is that what's going to happen? Does JG Pajot wind up getting moved uh, in some sort of deal? And what comes back in return? Well, what have the Islanders been searching for for seemingly ever? That goal-scoring winger. Let's say, for instance, the Islanders were engaged in trade talks with the Vancouver Canucks at the at the NHL draft. What if they re-engage with those trade talks with JG Pajot and maybe, I don't know, a package with something else in it? What is it going to take to get uh, JT Miller with that package. Now suddenly you're signing Kadri and you're trading Pajot for a JT Miller type player. You're going to tell me that this isn't a team that's going to go into the playoffs with a vengeance and, and be considered probably a cup contender again with now Barzell, Nelson, Dobson, uh, Pelic, Pollock, Miller, Kadri. I don't know, man. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it sounds it sounds real good to me. I mean, I wish we knew what the framework of a potential deal was for JT Miller at the draft. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, we had, you know, you and I and others have certainly discussed in terms of, you know, what do the Islanders have that's attractive that they'd be willing to part with? You know, is it Oliver Wallstrom coming off of a, you know, down sophomore season? Uh Beauvillier, you'd be selling low on him. You know, Kiefer Bellows, you know, he's a serviceable player, but not necessarily someone you automatically plug into your, you know, one of your first three lines on a good team. So, you know, what were the outside of the assets of a draft pick, which is now come and gone and how they yeah. got Romanov, you know, what are the assets that the Islanders could part with? And if they are able to sign Kadri, someone you wouldn't have been part wouldn't have entertained parting with, like Pajot, certainly now comes somewhat expendable. 
because you could have your three centers down the middle, Barzell, Nelson, and Kadri. Certainly you would give up a really good face-off man, a good penalty killer, great intangible type of player, and a guy that played like an Islander, whatever that means, yeah. um, for his two-plus years on the team. But unlike a move where you're going to be shedding the contract of Josh Bailey, you're not going to get anything of value in return. You might be able to swap some draft picks so that it's not just a future considerations type scenario, but essentially you're going to send him somewhere that he can play a role for a team, maybe a team that's looking for a cap floor type scenario with some leadership, fill a role, um, and you're going to get maybe something back mid, mid-level mid draft pick in that type of scenario. A move for Pajot is sending someone like him, maybe plus another asset, to a team who's still looking to be up in the playoff mix and are adding to that, but they have a little bit more now sustainability with his contract for the next four years. Right. Um, and they are trading someone like you said in Miller who um, obviously needs an extension. So yeah. it's a really interesting scenario and it'd be quite the move by Lamarillo. If he's able to pull something like that off, fans really like Pajo. I think we'd like him understand what he brings but he now becomes an expendable piece, and he wasn't that way before Kadri was in the fold, as we expect him to be. Right. I, I absolutely agree with you there. I think the thing, too, here is you look at the comparisons to the two players with, with between Kadri and Pajot. There's a lot of things that Kadri has in his repertoire that that um, J.G. Pajot also possesses. He's not as good in the face-off dot, but he does kill penalties, um, and he is just a hound in all three zones. He's really all over you. He's, he's really good defensively. Um, so essentially they might be losing out on, on faceoff wins, but they're really gaining in the goal department where he's going to score you closer to 30. Whereas Pajot, I don't even know if he, if he hit 50, maybe he hit 15 this season. I know he has been a 20 goal scorer in the past. Um, he got hot. I, he got hot towards the end of the year. He had the hat trick in New Jersey where he caught yeah. that on a stick. Yeah. That moment. Um, but his year was down like everyone else's was, you know, you yeah. look at the entire roster that first half of the year, all their numbers were depressed. Even if they played well in the second half, they weren't going to get where they you know, the back of their hockey card would have said they would have been. Right. Yeah. It's less about losing Pajot or trading Pajot away to upgrade him and more about unfortunately having to use him as a piece in order to acquire that first line winger. In addition to bringing in a guy like Kadri, it's just a mastermind of a plan. If it can be all, uh, pulled together perfectly and uh, it, it put into place. Uh, a lot of moving parts there. It's one of those situations where you sit there and you say to yourself, okay, Lamorello took a lot of flack for, for being so quiet and everything. But at the end of the day, if he can pull up something of this magnitude, do you turn around and say to yourself, okay, I do understand now why he was named back-to-back uh, manager of the year <laughs> in consecutive seasons. This would be his best job. I mean, without any games being played and see how the team comes to get right. comes together. But he won those previous two uh, really based on the runs the teams went. I don't think at the time of the trades necessarily that people say, oh, Lamarillo should be GM of the year when they made the acquisitions of Pajot and Green and then made the trade for Palmieri. You can maybe argue that the year prior, just the fact that the team was able to go from where they were losing Tavares to making the playoffs and being winning, you know, 103 points and winning around, that might have been his best GM job, yeah. Just by hiring Barry Trotz and putting that team yeah. out there, um, but he obviously made deadline deals, but they weren't crazy deals. They were rental players that he traded a first round pick plus four and got, 
one he was able to sign to an immediate extension. The other one he was able to uh, later sign to an extension after the year. But, you know, these awards get handed out after the playoffs are over, and people took that into account. Just from a kind of hockey trade instant reaction type of move, if he's able to um, make these pieces work out that way, sign Kadri, um, then take a piece that wasn't expendable but now isn't Pat Joe and flip him with something else to get someone like JT Miller. You just kind of do the, you know, subtraction and additions side by side and you go, okay, Alexander Romanov, Nazim Kadri, JT Miller in, and then you go out is JG Pajot, Zdeno Char, Andy Green, and then some other forward who's not playing – playing you know uh regular minutes i mean it's, yeah. it's it's a home run right it absolutely is a home run and uh we we threw the name jt miller out there just because um because his name was, was out there previously he was out there previously if it's not jt miller i'm gonna put you on the spot here off the top of your head if it's not jt miller what winger i i don't know who's uh, available at this point i know I, that's right the thing. i don't know who else is out there like who else right now is being talked about of the same names are the same ones we've been talking about for all offseason tarasenko and and jt miller so and, i mean who else because what other scenarios are out there where a team is going to part with even for a player like pajo is going to part with a 25 30 40 goal type scorer it's going to have to be a very specific situation in that they're on the final year of a deal. They don't think they're going to be part of the uh, future of the team. They're not going to lock them up long-term and ready to give them an extension. And that's what makes them expendable to a team that's looking to be in the playoffs themselves. So, I, you know, it's not you're not going to sign a young control. I don't think you're, gonna, you're not going to get a young controllable forward for JG Pacho. That's no. not going to happen. So, and, and that's just it, right? Where, when I ask you that question, you say to yourself, well, I don't even know who's out there. That – is so Lou Lamorello to pull off something like that, right? Who are we not thinking of that he's going to acquire much like how he did with Alexander Romanov. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the last thing I want to talk about on today's show. We're going to wrap it up with this because we didn't get to do this uh, for, for the, the first month that we were together at eyes on aisles. And uh, now that we're here on the first show, I want to talk about the Alexander Romanov acquisition. Um, it was Alexander Romanov in exchange uh, and a fourth round pick in exchange for the Islanders first round pick, a trade that in my eyes I thought was excellent. We can talk about why, but what was your reaction to acquiring Romanov for the Islanders first round selection this year? 13th overall. I'll be honest. I didn't know a ton about him. I don't think most Islander fans did. You watched the games Islanders played with Montreal. He wasn't like he was a huge part of their postseason push the year before, even though he did score a goal in the Stanley Cup final, you know, but then you kind of, you get really excited about the age. You get excited about the physicality. I think the initial reaction was Islanders getting a puck moving defenseman as this is offensive. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's not necessarily who he is. Maybe he can, Maybe there's elements of his game that haven't been unlocked yet that he'll kind of grow into at just 22 years old and become more offensive minded. But right now what he is is a guy who can skate well, but has a big time physicality portion of his game. It's going to make himself a fan favorite because of the way he can hit in his own and get the crowd going into games. And you're going to likely pair him with uh, Noah Dobson and let Noah do his thing offensively and Romanov be the guy uh, defensively to be there on the back end. So it made a lot of sense from just the profile of him in terms of being under control, uh, not high priced, um, a lot of 
long-term value to kind of keep this core of Pelic, Pulak, Dobson, and now hopefully Romanov together made a lot of sense, but I'm not going to overstate that I was some expert on his game. I was doing my research and in the YouTube clips, like a lot of other people, I think, sure, are trying yeah. to find out, hey, not only, you know, why would Montreal be upset about this, but what are we missing here that they would be willing to part with a 22-year-old defenseman that yeah. they drafted in the second round, that they were very eager to have developed, that they were high on at certain points. So we're really excited to see him on a day-in and day-out basis. You need to watch certain players day-in and day-out for a considerable amount of time to know their game. Yeah. Islander fans haven't done that with him yet. Yeah, so my initial reaction to hearing it was Romanov was, okay, I remember when he started gaining a lot of traction when he was killing it in the KHL overseas. He was mm-hmm. highly touted as, as a uh, one of the best defensemen not playing in the NHL. Similarly, how Sorokin was as a goaltender who hadn't come over to North America yet. Um, so I remember that traction for him. And then I remember him coming over to the bubble the same time, the same day, literally on the same plane, friendly with Ilya Sorokin, making their way to North America. They came over in the bubble, and they didn't play that season, um, but they they were with the teams, and then the following year was their rookie years. I do remember him having some struggles in the first year that he played for Montreal. Um, he was a third-pair guy, but again, 21 years old, and a rookie, for all intents and purposes, in a COVID year. Then, you know, you saw his game start to get a little bit better um, towards the end of that that first COVID season. Uh, and then in, in his second year, after the uh, Canadians took a plummet and they, they were no longer Stanley Cup contenders or, or even playoff contenders. In fact, they were probably the worst team in the NHL this season. Yeah. Um, he was put in like this unfair position after doing some research as a top pairing guy on the worst team in the league. And and Islander fans know a lot about that. I mean, there was a whole generation of Islander young players that were put in really bad situations with awful teams (laughs) and not, not in a position to succeed. And uh, it sounded like he and a lot of other Canadians, when they made the coaching switch to Martin St. Louis, um, you know, obviously they started, they came into UBS arena. I remember beat the Islanders. They were playing well that time. And then everyone was like, Oh my God, they lost to the Canadians. And Barry Trotz was saying, Hey, they're, they're playing a lot different. Yep. This team is playing well right now, and uh, he was a big part of that and played true top four minutes, 20-plus a game. And what you can say is that although he'll be – a lot of people will be focused in on him because he's the big, shiny acquisition or one of the big, shiny acquisitions, hopefully, for the Islanders, he's not going to have to be the guy. He's, at best, the fourth defenseman on the team, and – Obviously, Scott Mayfield is there, and he's a veteran presence that has earned the trust of the coaches and the fan base as well. So he's not going to be put into a spot where there should be a ton of pressure on him, right. and he'll be able to learn um, from two of the best in the business in Pulak and, and, and Adam Pellick. Right, and that's exactly it. The 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 thing is, if he's going to be uh, solidified as the fourth defenseman, he's the top four guy. He was put in the situation where he was playing top pair minutes, and like you said, he played a lot better under Marty St. Louis uh, with with the Canadians. So if he's put in the top four position, he's deemed a quote-unquote top four defenseman, which you hope to draft at the 13th overall selection. So yeah, in no my mind... with that. Right. Just accelerated my, it three years. Exactly. Best in my scenario. mind, it, that's exactly it. You, you accelerated it. And I do like... I don't I don't know how it's going to pan out for him. I do I do like the upside, though, in the kid that they drafted with the fourth overall... Uh, the fourth round pick they got back in, in Isaiah George. 
Um, we'll see how that works out down the line. But if nothing else, you got a 22 year old guy who's ready to play in, in the game. Now, the way I see it working for Romanov is like you said, he'll take care of everything in, in his own end. He'll be the defensive guy. He'll play what Zdeno Chara's role was just better. And, and only because he's not 45 and he can skate and he uh, is, is 22 and, and can keep the pace, right? Noah Dobson's not going to be dragging him like, like the, the, uh, the, the weight around his ankles. So, and as you alluded to earlier in the show, uh, he does have other upside elements to his game that could potentially, you know, blossom as as he continues to play with the Islanders and he's put in better situations. Um, but if nothing else, he's at least that def- that defensively responsible stay at home guy who can up- open up the ice more for Noah Dobson to do his thing. Um, and suddenly you have a really good pe- uh, pair in, in Romanov and Dobson that mesh well, uh, who you can depend on for probably 18 minutes a night. Yeah, we're really excited just to see the two of them. You know, we're talking about that as that it's a far gone conclusion that they're going to be paired together. I mean, we saw Pelik and Pulak get split up uh, during the early part of last season. So who knows whether or not that is potentially an option. Uh, but the assumption is the two of them are paired together. And we'll see if Robin Salo has the sixth spot or if there's yeah. someone, you know, the Islanders brought in um, for the PTO last year. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name light right now. Oh, Eric um, Gustafson. Gustafin, Gustafin last year. So there might be another scenario where someone else um, of a similar situation gets a PTO for, for the Islanders this year and, and ends up competing with Salo and ends up maybe starting the year as right. the sixth spot, making Salo the seventh guy. And then, you know, you see what happens with Sebastian Ajo. So there's a lot to kind of figure out there as well. But I think we're really excited to see the pairing. And I think, uh, you know, we'll kind of maybe end with this is that I can't – like what was wrong with everybody last year when we looked at the roster and we saw Andy Green and Zdeno Chara and and the situation with the Islanders and and said this is a Stanley Cup yeah favorite that everyone was on board with from you know ESPN.com to hockey news to writers in Canada everyone they were a trendy pick for a team that actually saw their talent level on the ice probably decrease each of the last three consecutive seasons, because even though they went one game further with Tampa in 2021, you know, the other team had Devon Tays on it um, and had uh, helped the Anders Lee. So yep. they kind of deteriorated a little bit in overall talent, although they got a little bit further. And then last year, if you were to compare what this roster might be, forget about it if they flip. Pajot for something else and get another piece. But just Kadri, just Romanov added to a team that people felt that good about going into last year. Maybe there's a reason to feel good about them again this season. Yeah. Much more than we're giving credit for. But as an Islander fan, you probably are preferring that your team will get picked to be sixth or seventh in the Metropolitan Division and not have the expectations of uh, they're going to be a first or second place team, which they've never been historically well they haven't won the division since 1987 88 yeah you know they finished second with barry trotz's first year that's as high as they've gone remember they never had home ice before that yeah that's true so that was a very odd position to be in last year (laughs) from a fan base perspective saying that you're going to win a division and and win the conference yeah the way of the under fan is preferably the underdog uh and it's probably going to be that way heading into the season no matter uh, who they acquire, if they acquire any more this this uh, this summer. We'll see how that goes. But I think that wraps it up for our first episode as James Nichols and Joe Buono wow. as, on Eyes on Isles. 
uh, a 35 minute banger. It was a great show. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited for. We're gonna for do this every Monday, um, right? Yeah, every, every Monday, Monday we're gonna we're gonna hop on the mic. It's gonna be great. Um, and Joe, I thank you for for coming on the show, and uh, I'm I'm excited to do next week's. Yeah, James, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, get some rest. Um, I'm really. You must have a great wife because you're not doing this in a closet yet uh, to try to find a quiet spot that doesn't wake up the baby. So yeah. I commend both of you guys and uh, best of luck on many fronts, sir. Thanks, man. I, I, I'm hoping next week we'll have a, a little bit more news to talk about, something exciting, but we'll see. Until next time, uh, everybody, we'll talk to you next Monday. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.